uh, Home Alone. The film that is convinced that all adults are morons. Um, as you can tell, someone else spoke last week, and they're quite a bit taller than I am. Jay Percy, way to go. Uh, welcome. If you're new with us, my name's Tim Deal. And, of course, that was a clip from Home Alone. And uh, in this clip, we, we kind of get the, you know, everybody gets in on the gag. They realize that, oh, this eight-year-old is really holding down the house by himself. And, of course, it's an absurd premise. If you know any eight-year-olds, try to imagine for just a moment that you were to forget them at home for any length of time, like 15 minutes, 5 30 seconds, whatever, my guess is they would not go grocery shopping, stock the fridge fully, and kind of figure out how to do life by themselves. Probably not. Let alone ward off two would-be house burglars. It's absurd. And yet that's what makes it so funny, right? Like that this, The one that you would never expect is the one who's actually doing it. Well, we're continuing our series that we've been calling Down to Earth. It's our, our Christmas series where we're looking at the, the Christmas story, the birth story of Jesus in Luke's gospel, uh, particularly in chapters 1 and 2. And today, we're looking at Mary. Now, if there's a central figure in the birth narratives other than Jesus, of course, the one who's being born, it's Mary, his mother. And Mary, as much as, you know, over the years we have all sorts of different ideas about who Mary is. The Mary that we encounter in Scripture is not the one you would expect to be ushering in God in the flesh, to be bringing God in the flesh into the world. So we're going to look in uh, Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if not, we're going to have the Scripture up on the, se- up on the screen. And we're going to look at how Mary kind of plays into this story and what we can learn from Mary's part in the birth of Jesus. So beginning again, chapter 1, verse 26. Luke writes, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Well, there is a lot that we could talk about in this passage, which is why we're actually going to continue in it next week a little bit. Uh, But today I want to look at how the angel shows up and addresses Mary. The first thing he says to her is he calls her favored woman and assures her that the Lord is with her. Now, in some translations, that that favored woman, it's translated blessed. You're blessed, blessed woman. 
Either way, it means you have favored status with God. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm reading that, I would assume that whatever follows that would be some kind of amazing explanation of what that blessing looks like, right? So, like, you're blessed of God, and so life is going to go really well for you. You're going you're gonna to be very successful. You're going to make lots of money and be comfortable. Everyone's going to think you're amazing. It's just going to go really well for you. Because that's what it means to be blessed, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I don't know what you think of when you think of the term blessed or what it means to be blessed by God. Maybe you don't think about it that much. Maybe the only time you ever think of that phrase is when you sneeze and some random person says, oh, God bless you. And you're like, what? Why? Or, if you're like me, when you think of that term, blessed, you think of happiness, right? Finding your, your happy place. You imagine, you know, sitting on the beach and watching the sunset or the sunrise, depending on if you're a morning or an evening person. Um, you imagine being with people that you love. It may be your family, or depending, it may be anybody but your family. Um, around people who care about you and you care about. Maybe it's you getting the promotion at the job that you've been longing for or getting that job that you've always wanted or, heck, winning the lottery and so you never have to worry about working another day in your life. Maybe that's what it means to be blessed. If you search hashtag blessed on Twitter, you will find that this is the predominant way in which we understand being blessed. That and athletes use this a lot, right? Like, for whatever reason... Scoring a touchdown, uh, winning a championship, all of those are signs of blessing, right? God is with me. I'm winning. It's generally what we think of when we think of what it means to be blessed. Not so much what's happening with Mary here. I mean, from this side of history, it's easy to look back and be like, ooh, Mary, she gets to carry Jesus. How cool must that have been? Well... In the moment, I would imagine, not so cool. So, for Mary, when she's blessed, what that means is God invades her life in this really intimate way that derails everything that she was planning up until this point. She's betrothed, she's engaged to be married to Joseph, and you know, we don't want to romanticize it. It's not like, you know, marriage back then isn't like we think of marriage now. It's not like they saw each other across a crowded room and everything stopped and, you know, he got her number or, you know, texted her later. Yeah, like that, it's not how it happened, right? It's an arrangement that works out well for everyone. It's, it's an arrangement so that the husband knows that more than likely he'll have children to carry on his name and the woman knows that she'll be protected and cared for and have and be a mother which as archaic as that might sound to us for that time that's a big deal that matters you know try being a, a single woman in ancient palestine it's not an easy life and so this was really i mean this was good for them and it's good for their extended family now they're going to have a family and kids and they will eventually be able to care for their aging parents and and that will all go really well this is how it's supposed to work Everything's moving in the right direction. And then the angel shows up and says, you're blessed. You're going to have a baby. And it 
ruins all of that, at least initially. I mean, Matthew tells us later that Joseph's about to divorce her because, understandably, he's like, she had an affair. She, she's pregnant, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's not mine. So can you imagine what that would have been like for her to have to... I mean, yes, she gets an angel, but as far as we know, I mean, later Joseph gets an angel, if you read in Matthew's Gospel, but as far as we know, nobody else. It's not like the angel showed up to everybody who knew Mary and was like, don't worry, she's not sleeping around. It was, you know, it's, it's, it's the Messiah. She has to explain this to her parents and to that gossipy friend who loves talking about other people to make him or herself feel better, to the, the public around who will see her belly growing slowly over the coming months and will make their own judgments without asking because isn't that what we do? I mean, this is the new normal for Mary. Is that being blessed? So Mary, um, she responds in a, a very kind of rational way, right? So the, the angel says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And she says, hey, how's that going to work? Because I'm a virgin. Now, traditionally, we just default that virgin simply means she has not previously had sex, which it can and does mean that. But it's also a very common word which just referenced any young woman, 14 years old or younger, which again, to our ears, that sounds scandalous. It's a very normal marrying age at this time. And so in some ways, identifying herself as a virgin is this unique place of like, hey, I've had health class and I know how this works, and so I'm a little confused on that end. Um, But then it's also the, I'm just a nobody. Right, like Luke has to specify for us the town that she's in. Right, he says she is from Nazareth, or God sent the angel to Gabriel to Nazareth, which is a village in Galilee. Well, why does he have to say that? Because nobody knows where Nazareth is. It's not important. He wouldn't have to say if it was in Jerusalem. He wouldn't have to be like, oh, by the way, Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel. Everyone's know, everyone knows that. It's Nazareth. Nobody cares about Nazareth. Nobody goes to Nazareth. And so it's a, a young woman of really no reputation, in a town that nobody knows of, in a backwoods corner of a country that's been overrun by the most powerful government in the world, Rome. She's nothing special. She's just an ordinary person. And so the surprise is that when God shows up on the scene... He doesn't do it to someone who, who has the right pedigree, for whom it's obvious to everyone around that if this was going to happen, it would happen to her. He does it to just a, an ordinary, normal, young girl. And so in some ways, Mary is blessed because there's nothing about her that would invite a blessing. And yet still, God invites her to be a part of his story. He invites her to partner with him in the work he's doing to remake the world. To rescue and redeem all people. She gets to partner with God in this work. Which I know sounds kind of weird to say, right? Like, that God needs a partner. That God, like, I think about these things a lot because I'm 
you know, reading the scriptures and thinking about them. I don't know how much you think about them, but if you think about any time God works with people, it tends to go badly, right? Like people just, we are kind of like the parents and the adults in Home Alone. Just can't figure it out. And yet God regularly, in fact, always works in and through people. It'd be easier if he just did it by himself, if God just did God's thing on God's own and told us about it later. That would be much more efficient, much smoother. But God and God's very nature is relational. About probably a year ago, we did a sermon on the Trinity. We talked about this idea that God is, in God's very essence, three. Father, Son, and Spirit. That God is a relational being. And as such, God always works in the context of relationships. God always works with people. And so even as God is doing the work of redeeming and remaking the whole world, he chooses to involve, at the center of it, an ordinary girl. Think about this in the the context of families and how families work. Because it's a little hard to think about, wrap our head around why God would do this. But when I think about doing things as a family, um, if you have kids or uh, you've been around kind of families, uh, maybe you even growing up, you know that in most families, while the, the bulk of the responsibility for taking care of things around the house, providing the finances, uh, making sure everything is good and safe and right, that, that, the bulk of that falls on the parents. Most parents are looking at some level to engage their kids in that process. Now, everyone does it in different ways, but at some level, you're kind of getting your kid to learn, hey, you, you need to make your bed. You can help with the dishes. You, you, can, you can help rake the yard or mow the grass or whatever the chore is, right? And some of that, sure, is that at some point, we as parents are like, hey, this is where it gets good, right? I don't have to do everything. You're old enough. Go mow the yard. At another level, and probably a deeper level, is that we recognize that what we want is for these kids to really learn to own what it means to invest in their own lives, to take care of themselves, to to provide for others, to participate in what it looks like to build a home. And so we involve them, not just because it's easier. In fact, half the time it's a lot quicker and easier and better to just do it yourself. But you involve the kids because you actually think part of their development, part of what it means for them to become fully themselves and discover all it is that they are and can do is to participate with you in things. That it's going to take them time, that they're going to mess up, that they're going to have to learn. But as they do, eventually, you start to look around and go, oh my goodness, they're really good at that. They're better at that than I am. I mean, anything that ever happens with anything electronic, I just say, talk to my son. Just call my son. I have no idea. That, that wasn't always the case. But he's gotten much better at that. And this is where some of the joy of parenting comes. As you look and you go, they're becoming themselves. They're not just, you know, a, a child. They are them. With personality and gifts and skills and they're contributing and they own it. And it's a joy. I think about, um, so we had the, the honor this week of accepting an award on behalf of you all, of the church, from Safe Burks. Uh, if you're new, 
Every year we do a campaign that's a week in June. We've been doing this for about 10, maybe a few more years than that, uh, where we just go around our neighbors and uh, hit about, usually around eight to 9,000 homes, and we invite people to contribute, and we take the donations down to Safe Burks. And this year they honored the church with uh, their Voices of Change Award. It's pretty awesome. We wish that we had a really cool spot to mount it. Um, for now, it's back in like this main office in the back. So if you want to see it, you're welcome to come take a look at it. And if you have ideas about a cool place that we could mount it, we're open to that. But there's just not a great space at this point. Um, but we, again, we've been doing this for years. My family's been involved for years, even before I was on staff here. It's one of the, my favorite things that we do because I, I, I so much love the idea that we're partnering with an organization that's working for peace in relationships like this. But one of the real joys for me in that is not just that we're doing it, but that I've been able to watch my kids kind of grow up doing this with me. And last year, uh, during the the summer, my oldest daughter, Grace, uh, was going for her silver award with Girl Scouts. And what she wanted, what you have to do is you have to find a project and and do this project kind of on your own. And she came to us and she's like, you know what I want to do for my project? I want to work on the garden in Safe Burks. So she called up Safe Burks and set this up and she spent the summer with a couple of friends working on the garden, teaching the kids how to plant, helping them harvest it, playing games with the kids, all of that. And I would say when people came up to, to me and to Tracy and to Andrew and Carmen at the event where we got the award and they're like, oh, this is so great. Um, how is that for you? And, and I'm like, it's wonderful. It, it, but honestly, the, the biggest joy I get in being a part of this is watching my kids begin to own this for themselves and step into uh, being partners with this, this organization that's doing such great things. But that never would have happened had they not been doing the work with me. You, I'm guessing you, you kind of get the point that I'm making, that God involves us because we were made to be doing God's work with God. That's what we were designed for, to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And so he doesn't, he doesn't invite us into that because he can't do it on his own but because we become fully who we were created to be as we find ourselves in the midst of what God is doing in the world, partnering with God in that. And that is, that is what I think blessing means for Mary and for us. She is blessed. And as we learn that, as we see that in this passage, we see another truth that is hidden. It's one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. But when you, before you see it, you might miss it. And that's this idea that the least will be the greatest. The curtain gets pulled back a little bit as you go, like, why Mary? But as you begin to look and unpack the scriptures, Jesus later in, in his life and ministry regularly would talk about the idea that the least would be the greatest, the last would be first. That this thing that God is doing is upending what we normally think of as the right way, the way that things naturally work, and he's showing us a different way. And in that new way, those who are considered least will discover are the greatest. And as we see that, we begin to see this is, this is who God was all along. All through the story of the scriptures, we see God doing something remarkable among really unremarkable people. I mean, think about Abraham, who's one of the patriarchs, kind of the the father of the faith. He was just some random wanderer who God showed up to and said, hey, through you, I'm going to bless everybody, all the nations of the earth. 
But he and his wife couldn't have kids. They'd been trying and they couldn't. She was barren. And so he shows up to the person least qualified to do the thing that he's calling him to do. I mean, virtually the opposite of who you and I would identify as the person. God shows up to that person and says, it's through you. Not only am I going to bless you, but it's through you that I'm going to bless everybody. Think about the nation of Israel. I mean, it's the least likely nation you could imagine. I mean, this is the nation that gets just stomped on by everybody. I mean, Egypt, Rome, Greece. I mean, they just can't win. There is no, I mean, there's maybe a brief window where they're like, woohoo, us, and then they're done again. Like Babylon, everybody. They're just, they can't, they just can't win for losing. And yet it's this country that God chooses to use to reveal himself to the world. Or King David, who becomes like the great, 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 etc. grandfather of Jesus. The one who kind of symbolizes the, the Messiah, the, the ruler who will come and free Israel. He's like the last one picked. Like if you read the story of David getting anointed as king, it's kind of sad. Like Samuel the prophet who comes to anoint him shows up and Jesse, David's dad, has like nine of his ten kids there. David's like off in the field doing stuff. And the guy's like, hey, I come to anoint, you know, I'm going to anoint the king. And, and the dad brings out everybody but David. Because the assumption is, like, of course it's not David. Like, clearly. And he gets to the end, and Samuel's like, yeah, it's not, do you have any more? And he's like, oh, I, I, I guess I could call David in. And it turns out to be him. I mean, again and again and again in Scripture, what we see is that God is doing God's work. It, the, the clearest place where we see God at work, are in the people who seem least qualified. That the least will be the greatest. And this is what we see in in Mary. God shows up to the least qualified, the least likely person to to reveal himself in the clearest way. And Mary is ultimately blessed because she says yes. She says yes to being a part of what God is doing, even though it seems well beyond what she's capable of. Even though it is most certainly going to sidetrack her life. Even though she doesn't know what all of that means or where all that's going to go, she says yes. I mean, there's a reason why the angel has to say, don't be afraid, right? Now, that could be because the angel is terrifying, or it could be because the news is terrifying. But he says, don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. And Mary says, yes. And because of that, she's blessed. She trusts herself, her whole self, her whole life to her creator. And she enters into the story and becomes the key figure apart from Jesus. And because of that, because she says yes, she is blessed. Even though she's the least. Jesus builds on this idea of the last being first, the least being the greatest. In his teachings in in Matthew uh, chapter 5, often referred to as the Beatitudes, which Beatitudes come from a Latin word that means supreme blessedness. So that's a lot of blessing. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 3 to 6, He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. In the beginning of this story, we begin to see what God is doing. That as God is bringing, is really revealing himself fully to the world, as he does that, he offers his blessing, not to those of us who deserve it, but to all of us because none of us do. Not to those of us who have life together enough that we can receive a blessing, but to those of us who feel like life is falling apart because God is with us now. And so there's nothing that you or I or Mary or David or Abraham or anyone has to or can do other than say, yes, to be blessed. Um, I want to read a quote from pastor and author Nadia Boltz-Weber. She is reflecting on the person of Mary, and she writes this. She says, I know people get hung up on believing the virgin birth thing, but for me, the harder thing to believe was that the angel Gabriel actually found someone to say yes. I mean, if, and this is a big if, mind you, but if I ever would have said yes to something so bizarre, I would only have done so if I knew what was in it for me. Namely, how am I going to be blessed by this God who wants to use me? But Mary, based on very little solid evidence or information, said, I am God's, and let it be with me according to God's word. She said yes. To be a people marked by the faith of Mary is to be a people who say okay. I don't understand what's going on, and I know that my life isn't going to end up looking like one I would choose out of a catalog, but I trust that God is at work in all of it. Blessedness is being used for God's purpose more than it's getting what I want or things being easy. And I think as we come into the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary, the invitation is for us to learn from the faith of Mary that wherever you're at in life, whether your life feels particularly blessed or not, that you can be blessed by simply saying yes to being a part of what God is doing in the world, in your life immediately and in the world around you. And I think from Mary's story, there are at least two things we can kind of pull out of that, what that looks like for us. And in just a minute, we're going to go into a time of Q&A, and then we're going to move into communion. So if you have questions or thoughts on that, Get those ready. We'd love to hear them uh, in just a moment. We'll have Bill going around, and if you want to stick your hand up with a question, he'll, he'll have a mic, and we can interact a little bit. And there's also a phone number on the back of your bulletin that if you'd rather text, you can text a question in, and we'll try to interact around that as well. Um, but two thoughts kind of coming out of this passage and the person of Mary of what it looks like to receive God's blessing even when you don't feel qualified. And the first one is simply learning to trust. Again, I mean, the big move for Mary here was saying yes with very little information. I mean, you could argue she knew next to nothing about what she was getting in for. If, if you read the story of Jesus and, and the journey that he goes on, like she knows that she's going to bear the Messiah. That sounds like, 
you're going to have this conquering ruler who's going to lead Israel against Rome and defeat them and set up. And so there's like, that's kind of cool. She has no idea that what that means is that she's going to watch her child become someone who she doesn't understand, who is ultimately hated by most people and arrested and tortured publicly and dies in front of her. Like, that's what she's signing up for, even though she doesn't quite know that yet. But at some level, at some very real level, she is able to trust God and say, yes, I don't quite understand all of this. I don't know why or how or where all of this is going. But I trust that if you're with me, that's enough. And I think for many of us, I don't know how you're feeling this morning. Some of us are probably feeling pretty blessed, hashtag blessed, right? Like some of us are feeling like, you know, maybe you're getting ready to go on vacation or just take some time off of work. Uh, It was a good year in business. Your family's healthy and well. Um, Everything's just coming up roses, and it feels like a blessing. And for some of us, that is not our reality. For some of us, it feels like Things are slowly unraveling. And I think the story of Mary invites us to realize that the blessing is not in whether or not those things work out exactly how we hope and dream, but in the promise that God is with us, that we can trust God to be with us even when we don't understand, even when we don't know where this is going. That that's... That is the message of Christmas. One of the names that we get for Jesus in this Christmas time is Emmanuel. It's a a name used by one of the Old Testament prophets as they look ahead to Jesus coming. Emmanuel means God with us. And one of the promises of Christmas is that in this, the darkest of times, literally, right, the season of the year is the darkest time that God comes to be with us. And so the invitation into blessing is an invitation to trust that God is with us that God is with you. Emmanuel. I think that's the first invitation. I think the second invitation is to say yes. It's to say yes to joining in on what God is doing this Christmas season. Now, I know that sounds really big and like what God is doing. Like, what if I don't know exactly what God is doing? That's a fair question. Part of what we know is that, so in in Jesus, we believe that we see who God is and what God is like. And so as we look to follow Jesus, Jesus shows us what God is doing in the world, what what it is that God is up to. And so we have the opportunity to say yes, to live in the way of Jesus this holiday season. Even if our world feels like it's a little bit up in the air and it's falling apart, we can say yes. We can say yes to being really generous with people around us where it's possible. We can say yes to practicing compassion. We can say yes to saying what's true, to standing with someone who is hurting to loving our enemies, to loving our neighbors. I was talking to somebody last week, and I thought this was amazing. I was, so this person, 
um, has some pretty strong opinions politically. But he was telling me about his best friend who has some pretty strong opinions politically on the other end. And I was like, that is fascinating to me that you would describe him as your best friend. Tell me more. He was like, yeah. And he started telling me about this kind of... uh, the banter they have back and forth, how good-natured it is. And then he was telling me about the fact that he purchased this gift for his friend that was just this really special, fun thing. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, you bought a present for someone you disagree with politically. Could you imagine if we all did that? Like, could you imagine this holiday season if you identified the person who maybe you're furthest apart politically from who when you hear them talk about what they believe about things, you were like, I can't believe that people like that think things like that. And you took the time to intentionally think about what could I get them that would make them feel really valued? And you bought them a gift. What would that be like? Like if everyone did that, I just think the world would be a different place. Or at least the United States would be a different place. Now, it's a small thing, and maybe I I overstate the implications of that, but you get the idea, right? What if you were intentional this season about saying yes to showing God's gracious love for all people, even those, especially those, who seem least deserving of it? That's what it means to be blessed. We trust and we say yes. You don't have to earn any position. You don't have to have your life put together. You trust and you say yes. And as we do, we experience the truth that in Jesus, the light has come. The world is dark sometimes, but our hope is that in Jesus, the darkness cannot extinguish the light. The darkness can't overcome the light. That light wins in the end. Um, Well, thank you. I I think uh, we're going to take a time now to share communion together. And as we do, in many ways, communion is kind of the physical representation of the moment where we see this most clearly, where God's, what God is doing in the world, the way in which God is bringing blessing and hope, freedom and redemption to all of us, we see in Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection, that in that pain and suffering is the blessing that is being offered for all of us. And so as we come and take a little bread and a little juice, we remember Jesus' death and resurrection and God's promise that he is present with us even in the darkest times. And so because of that, we're blessed. So together we're going to, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us and then uh, after the prayer we'll if you're comfortable taking communion together, we'll, we'll stand and you kind of head down the outside of the rows here, take the bread and the juice, and then go back to your seat and take it as you're, whenever you're comfortable taking it. Uh, if, if this is new or for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable participating, you're welcome to kind of hang tight in your seats um, and enjoy the music, and then we'll move on to a final song in just a moment. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the, um, the example of Mary who shows us faith that says yes, that trusts you even when it kind of upends her life, even when she feels like the least qualified. 
Father, would you help us? Help us to say yes to being a part of what you're doing, to being people who live with love and compassion, generosity and kindness, and courage. And in the midst of lives that sometimes feel really dark and difficult, would you reassure us of your presence with us? That the blessing lies not in our lives turning out the way we always imagined they would be, but that you are with us even when things don't quite go the way we wish they would. Thank you. Thank you that in this Christmas season we remember Emmanuel, God with us now and forever.